1: Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. And unfortunately, PK is still in rehab out in Tucson. As I reported to you a couple weeks ago, she had taken a fall inside her house and fractured her pelvis. Ouch. So she went to the hospital. She was taken to the hospital by her daughter and. Now she's in rehab, and she is praying to be released. She wants desperately to go home, so please, I know you've been putting some prayers in her direction. Please ask for her to be sent home this Friday. She is really tired of the rehab food and the schedule there and all the things that go with it. She wants to be home, and I know we all support her in getting home and getting well fast so she can come back and join us. She said to say a big thank you to everybody in the audience who reached out to her and is reaching out to her and sending her all these good, well wishes. So, TK, get well soon. We love you. We want you back. So, tonight we have our top guest. Our most favorite guest is joining us tonight, Captain Randy Kramer. I'm going to bring him on in a minute. Make sure, though, that you go to our Facebook page, Supernatural Girls with a Z, like us, follow us, tell everybody else about us, and follow us on Twitter at, as well, and Instagram. We're on Instagram. We'll be happy to follow you back and take a look at all of the things on Instagram that you're posting. So lots to talk about tonight. Many things happening in the world today, and it's just it seems to be one crazy thing after another. But Captain Randy Kramer, now I'm going to tell you, he was the first Supernatural Girls guest who came on the show and warned us about the virus before it really hit. So thanks to Captain Kramer, we all had the inside story, and we were able to get prepared, all thanks to him. Now, Captain Kramer has been given authorization to address the public on behalf of a covert special section of the United States Marine Corps. He is known for his 17-year tour of duty off-world on Mars and his years serving aboard a secret space fleet. And for those who may question his extraordinary personal history, and it is extraordinary, Captain Kramer points out that it is a felony to impersonate an officer and to lie about military duty stations. So we know he's telling the truth because he's a free man and he's with us tonight. Now, the USMC has not disputed his story, nor have they stopped him from speaking out publicly about it as he was appointed to this task by a brigadier general within the clandestine program. Now, tonight, we're going to get updates on everything, on the virus, on what's happening to people who have disappeared from our national parks and college campuses, and also, we are going to get updates on everything that's going on in the world today. And let's not forget disclosure. So let's bring him on the show. No time to waste here. Captain Kramer, welcome.
2: Oh, thank you for having me, Patricia. It's good to be here.
1: Well, wow, great to have you. I know you, you were called away in an emergency uh, mission last time we tried to have you on the show. And we're I am so happy that you made time to join me tonight and our wonderful audience. So, oh my goodness, there's so much to talk about here, Captain Kramer. Should we start oh, with yeah. virus? Oh,
2: yeah, going on.
1: Yeah, start you wherever you want. You we
2: can go whichever you want to go. Yeah,
1: Let's, let's start there. What's happening with that thing now? It's, it seems like they appear to be getting a better handle on what it is and how to treat it. What do you think? Uh,
2: some of that's true. Uh, what we're really experiencing is the... Lull past the first peak of the first gestation period, and we know that the virus has three gestation gestation periods, so the first gestation period is the first peak or the first spike um, on the curve. The second gestation period we expect mm, sometime between late August and late September, but we kind of think it's probably going to be right around the middle of September. However, since this is not, it's not like there's an an exact date that's a begin date that you can calculate from, so it could really be anywhere from the middle of August to the end of September, but I would expect that late summer, early fall, we're going to see the second gestation spike, and we're going to see cases go up again. Uh, We have already seen people who have contracted the virus and recovered from the virus get it again or get sick from it again. And what we really know is that just because you uh, get past a symptomatic period doesn't mean that you have beat the virus and the virus is no longer in your system. The virus stays in the system. It goes dormant. It goes into a second incubation uh, gestation, third incubation gestation phase. So we expect to see... Uh, second spike in the fall and then sometime probably by Christmas or again, maybe the first of the year, almost which would be almost a year after we saw it break out the first time, we'll see the third and final incubation gestation period. So it's going to roll up and down a couple of times more, probably before the end of the year, or by the first of the year. I would say that our, Estimates are that we could see up to 200,000 fatalities just in the United States by the end of the year. Could be more, but not likely to be much less than that if it is less than that. And we're likely to see cases uh, continue to roll around well into next year. Um, it's not just like you're going to hit that third incubation gestation period and then you're just it's just going to fade away because there's still going to be a certain number of people that haven't been impacted by it, still haven't been infected, who can still get infected and continue to roll up the spikes on the curve. Um, so we expect it to, it's just going to continue to be a problem, but it's more than anything going to continue to sort of be a, a backdrop issue, since there are other issues that are going to start taking the forefront uh, for everyone. So it's going to be the backdrop to pretty much everything else that's happening uh, in this country and in the world. But it's going to be with us for probably at least another year, year and a half. Wow.
1: Well, it's very interesting what you're saying about the incubation period because it's not only in the population behaving that way, but it's also behaving that way in people's bodies. So that's fascinating right
2: fact yeah that's what, that's what I'm saying is just because you get it once and you get better from it doesn't mean that you're not going to get it again and so people who beat the virus one time can still get in, can still find themselves getting sick and can still have a another bout of pneumonia or another bout of life and death so you know, it it's going to be interesting a lot,
1: it reminds me a lot of autoimmune disease because a lot of Autoimmune disease, at least some of them, are thrombotic diseases. You know, they they create clots, they create fibrosis, right. just like this does. And right. it also can go into not full remission, but, you know, you begin to feel better. But like you said, then it incubates again and you begin to feel worse. So yep. it, just, it just has a lot of um, aspects of it that remind me of how autoimmune works and how devastating it can be. So you feel like you're getting your footing again, but you're not, really. Not for any period of time. Well,
2: and we're also, we also are tracking um, mutations, and we have well over 30 or 40 um, identified mutations so far. So it's, it's going to continue to have a variance of behavior because of the mutation. So some people, as well as what we're noticing in, um, genotypes and blood types. So people with different genotypes, different blood types, and depending on which mutation they get will depend on their symptomology or asymptomology. So there isn't, there's no cookie cutter. This is the symptoms that you're going to have. This is how it's going to behave. This is how you're going to get through it. None of that is, you know, one way or the other way. We're seeing dozens of variations in how people can feel sick, how they can, how long it lasts. Uh, how they recover, how they don't recover. It's its going to be, it's complicated because it's not a black and white, oh, this is what you, this is the problem, this is how you fix it. And it certainly follows the pattern of a lot of the autoimmune stuff as far as the overstimulation of the immune response, which is what causes the pneumonia, causes the overproduction of fluid in the lungs, which brings up the pneumonia, which is what is, you know, mostly what people are dying from when they do die from it, from the pneumonia.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean it's a very so tricky it, thing. It's, with crazy. Symptoms. Yeah,
2: it's it's a it, yeah it's crazy. It's a little crazy. Mhm.
1: Yeah, it is. It is, and it also I would imagine it's going to make it near impossible to find a vaccine with all these mutations.
2: Um, we don't expect that they're even going to have a functioning vaccine until sometime next year. And yes, that vaccine, whatever vaccine they come up with first, is going to be hit or miss depending on this, which mutation you have. What your blood type is, what your genotype is, and how you know all of those variables play in it. It's not even as simple as a annual flu virus. It's it's very complicated.
1: Mhm. It is, and and the blood types you're talking about, what's been reported, is blood type O seems to have more resistance to it.
2: Right. So they're the carriers because they don't know that they have it.
1: Oh. Okay. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Typhoid Mary. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
2: I mean the the yeah the 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 O types can feel like they got mild cold symptoms, mild flu symptoms, and be passing it around to everybody they come into contact with.
1: Right. How about these masks? I know here in Massachusetts, it's mandated you have to wear a mask, and they are finding store owners who do not have their clerks wear masks or their customers, and some hefty signs. What is what is the common thought on masks today? Are they helpful?
2: They're, they're not unhelpful, but they're not a solution either. There's no guarantee, unless you're wearing a mask that has a, 0. 0, my, I'm sorry, a 0. 0.01 micron filter in it, which is basically like a, a painting respirator. If you're not wearing something that's like a painting respirator, you're not necessarily filtering out, filtering out 100% of the viral contagion's um, and, you, you, and and because it doesn't, most of these masks don't fit tight, um, it really depends on how close you are, if somebody coughed, if they sneeze. Um, it turns out that uh, some doctors who study um, basically spit sprays as they come out of people's mouths have said that this six-foot rule is from a 1920s guideline and that really if you're trying to stay a safe distance from every person who might be spitting, coughing, uh, and the vapor as it holds in the air, depending on where you are indoors, outdoors, they're suggesting that the actual safe distance is like 21 feet. So If you're, more than, if you're less than 21 feet from someone, you're not wearing an airtight 0.01 micron filter mask, you might be stopping some of the contagion but you're not going to be stopping 100% of it, and so it's they're not unhelpful, but neither are they the solution. I I, mm-hmm. I get where I get where people say it's better than nothing, right? It's it's like if um what yeah. what what did, what did someone uh, did an analogy which is like if if you're not wearing pants and you pee out in the open somewhere. And you pee on someone's leg who also doesn't have pants on. There's no protection. But if you're both wearing pants, well, then you know it stops in your pant leg. And this is kind of a similar way of thinking about this. That wearing a mask, if you're infected, is more likely to to lower the amount of contagion that's coming from you. Um, and if you're wearing a mask and you're not infected, it's going to lower the number of contagion, uh, you know, cells that can get into your lungs. But neither of those solutions create a hundred percent efficacy at all.
1: Right. Right. So I, I, I really
2: tell people it's, it's got to just kind of do what you feel is right. We're also seen that some people who are wearing, you know, these homemade cotton masks don't wash them and then yeah. can, you know, develop further problems. If you're wearing a dispose, if you were flipping disposable masks on a regular basis, that's better than making your own cloth mask and then not washing it for five days. If you have a That's cloth a mask, point. make sure you make sure you right. wash it every clean day and dry thing. it, you know. Yeah, clean the damn thing. Otherwise, you're <laughs> not helping yourself at all.
1: Yeah, good point. Good point, Randy. Thank you for, for sharing that. It's very helpful. Common sense, but some people don't think about that and how much bacteria would be on that piece of cloth. So it's a good thing you mentioned it. So yeah, yeah our mouths
2: are full of bacteria. Our mouths, our mouths are full of bacteria. So if you have something over your mouth that you're breathing into all the time, you're actually putting your own bacteria into that. And if you don't clean it, you're basically saying, here, bacteria in my body, incubate on this piece of cloth that is also right next to my breathing apparatus. And yeah. so,
1: <laughs> it, it,
2: yeah, if you don't clean your mask, you, you could be hurting yourself. Yeah. Yeah,
1: good point. Excellent, excellent. So you're saying that, the virus uh, has three levels of incubation, and also you are saying that it's going to be a backdrop, I believe with your words, for other Correct. issues. So that really piqued my interest. What other issues are, are going to be coming
3: up here? What do you see?
2: So people who have been following me along as we've been going through this process and have been listening to me will know that I have said this is a multi-stage process that we're in and that stage one was viral contagion, which we have seen that happen. Stage two, which I said well before we had civil disruption, was going to be civil disruption. Now, we were predicting based on known factors that this wasn't how the civil disruption was going to happen. We were anticipating that it was going to be way more likely that right-wing extremists were going to be uh, probably enacting a series of acts of violence on July 4th but we, before that we ended up with this thing happening we ended up with George Floyd dying sorry George Floyd dying and 40 million people out of work people who've had enough of police brutality uh against people of color and that has caused millions of people to flood the streets and say we're angry about this right now so that's changed the game and so you have Criminals and other agitators on extremes who are actually the ones causing the violence and doing the looting, breaking into the stores. Um, most of that activity is not actually coming from protesters. The protesters are mostly peaceful. In fact, I was reading today the Los Angeles Police Department was saying that they actually have a lot of camera footage showing these cars showing up with uh, organized, what they're figuring it's gang activity people getting out, putting their gloves and their masks on, and then busting into stores. So the looting doesn't really seem to be coming from the protesters per se, but people who are saying, oh, we can just pretend that we're protesters and then loot. Um, You also have provocateurs like these three guys who got busted, uh, these three Boogaloo boys who got busted in Vegas with a bunch of pipe bombs and Molotov cocktails. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's it's a mess, is what it is. But Again, people have been listening to me. I said stage one virus, stage two civil disruption. So we're in stage two. Stage three, as I predicted, will be uh, some sort of global militarized level of conflict between one or more of the Russians, the Chinese, and the Iranians. And we're seeing from all three of those sources, the Russians, the Chinese, and the Iranians, increasing pressure, increasing sort of American hostility, um uh, uh, Air Force fighter jets repelled two different b- bomber fire units from Russia uh, in Alaska. We're having lots of saber rattling and back and forth in the South China Sea and the Iranians just built a mock-up battleship I mean sorry aircraft carrier for them to pretend to attack so, Stage three is when it appears that we're really destabilized from the civil disruption that these other powers will consider that we're sort of weak, which is not incorrect for them to assume that. Um, And then we'll see more pressure coming from one or more of those parties in those regions.
1: Well, that's That's going to be stage three. Sure. It sounds pretty
2: scary. Well, and then that's just stage three, stage four. Uh, we are anticipating a massive extraterrestrial event, probably some form of alien invasion.
1: Now that sounds like it could be fun. What do you think? <laughs> Is that going to be a happy um, day or not?
2: <laughs> depends on where you are, depends on where you live, depends on who you are. Um, I would suggest that there are certain things that just have to happen. Um, and, We have got to get through this disclosure event. We've got to break the glass ceiling or the glass wall, whatever you want to call it on disclosure. And so whether it's a peaceful event or a non-peaceful event, I would suggest that it simply has to happen. And whoever's responsible, however it's responsible, uh, it's just going to be one more thing that we're going to have to deal with. It's going to be moot for people to discuss whether it's real, whether it's scripted, or somewhere in between, the fact of the matter is it's going to happen, we're going to have to deal with it, and it's going to be stage four in uh, this stage five process.
1: Now, with a mass event like that, and again, I'm trying to, to get to who's going to be coming here. Is it going to be multiple races that will show themselves, or is it just one?
2: We anticipate it will probably be a singular species.
1: Okay. Probably
2: insectoid.
1: Oh, mantis?
2: No, something different than that, something that's going to be a little bigger and a little scarier.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs)
2: So most, for a second, well, let me talk just for a second about um, different species of ants on planet Earth. Um, ants are one of the most diverse species of organism on planet earth. And you have uh, thousands of different species that vary in their behavior. Um, You have ant species who are farmers. They will basically go out in a perimeter from their hive and they will pluck out every single plant that they don't want to be there. And then they will leave the varieties of vegetation that they want to harvest from. So they're essentially farmers. Um, you have ants who are essentially herders. There is a couple species who um, keep aphids and then they in their hive, and they take the aphid out every day, put them on these leaves, let the aphids eat, and then milk uh, a glucogen from the aphid as a food source. So they're essentially herders. Most species of ant, I would say, are... Self defensive, so if you go pounding, you know, near the hive or, or near their area, you, you might get swarmed or attacked. But most of them aren't what we would say is, you know, uniquely hostile or aggressive. Except for one species, and that are driver ants. Driver ants are one of the most aggressive species on the planet. They have been known to take down tethered horses and unattended infants. What? These are ants, mind you. These are ants. Yeah. These are ants, yeah. And they they are carnivores, and they literally will eat anything that they can swarm over and eat away and bite away one piece at a time. So they are an incredibly voracious, aggressive, carnivorous species. Now, with that saying, I would say most of the species of insectoid that we come across are like most of the species of ants that we experience here on planet earth, they are functional farmers, herders, um, not necessarily violent or aggressive species and how that they maintain their environment or how they deal with people. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't aggressive carnivorous species of insectoid. We have, seen some cases of this incredibly voracious um, invading insectoid um, that we refer to as the bugquistadors, which is a combination of the word bug and the word Conquistador. And so the bugquistadors are fierce and voracious and will eat anything, you know, that they can get their hands on. And so, um, it's more than likely that that's probably who we're going to be having this experience with.
1: Well, if that's so it's the going case, to give us a
2: unique opportunity, it's going to give us <laughs> a unique opportunity. Let me just, well, just yeah, let me I try mean, and put it in the most neutral they terms possible. To
1: put us on their meal plan or are they coming here for another reason?
2: Um, You know, I think we're just going to have to see how that plays out Um, Mm -hmm. because whatever happens is going to happen in a fairly unique way when it does occur and how the military intelligence apparatus is going to deal with it is going to be unique. And I don't want to make too many speculations based on Mm -hmm. reports that are not of them being here. So, you know, we can we can look at their patterns and say, oh, this could be very problematic. Um, but until they're here, you know, we're we're just going to kind of have to wait and see exactly how that rolls out when it rolls out.
1: What do these bug look like?
2: Um, they're six legged, but they tend to run on four, the bottom four, and they tend to uh, so they tend to have a abdomen that is parallel to the ground and then their uh, thorax and their head tend to be perpendicular to the ground. And they use the top two appendages to uh, use tools, weapons, or grab things. So they're they're and they stand, you know, you know almost eight feet tall. So oh they're going to seem, they're going to, they're going to seem big and scary and threatening.
1: They sure will. Now, because of your experience, on Mars, as a soldier, you probably have seen things like this, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And so you're oh. probably more desensitized to this kind of thing than the normal person would be. Oh, happen. yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. So I've, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Um, that plenty of people think in their minds, oh, I'd love to see an alien. That would be so cool that's your frontal lobe talking to you and your frontal lobe takes a little bit of time to process information. So if you were to find yourself in the presence of uh, an extraterrestrial species, your frontal lobe is going to go through some motions that will take a couple of seconds, you know, a few seconds to process information, figure out, think about what's happening, think about what you want your response to be before your frontal lobe forms an action that, that's a conscious action based on frontal lobe activity. However, what's kind of more important is your amygdala response. Your amygdala is not connected to your frontal lobe. It will respond before your frontal lobe responds. It responds in nanoseconds. So before you even have the opportunity to stop and go, oh, that's an alien... Uh, should I be concerned? Should I be friendly? Should I wave? Should I offer my hand to shake or should I run away? By the time your brain, the frontal lobe again, has asked those questions and started to formulate a response, your amygdala has already had a reaction. And 99 times out of 100, that reaction is going to be panic. Mm -hmm. So while people think with their frontal lobe, oh, I want to see an alien. That'll be awesome. Your amygdala when that happens may really go, Oh shit. And panic. Yeah. You may, you and, and I, and I don't mean this. Um, I mean this literally. And also to encourage if this happens to anyone to not feel bad about it because it's, a, it's an autonomic reaction. Uh, you may soil yourself. You may crap your pants, you may piss your doors. And it's an, it's an automatic primal response. It's not anything other than, your biological autonomic systems going into a a primal animal response, which is sometimes to evacuate uh, your your bowels or your bladder so that you can run faster, to be honest with yeah. you. So the, res- the response of, of peeing or crapping your pants is actually so that you can get away more quickly um, as far as an, an animal would be concerned. So being trained uh, to deal with in- excuse me, exotic environments and exotic targets, which is a fancy way for saying other worlds or other species. Um, Yeah, I'm cool. You know, I'll be, I'll be fine in the sense of I won't be panicking or pooping my pants. I will, (laughs) I will, I will have a set of responses that I will know, you know, be able to, my amygdala will be like, Oh, we've done this before. So my amygdala is not going to panic then my frontal lobe is going to be like, oh, okay, this is serious. And what are the things according to training that we're supposed to do here? Um, So I'll be fine. Other people who have been trained for this kind of thing will be fine. Uh, Soldiers and emergency services personnel who have not been trained for that are going to, you know, have some experiences. And those are also people who are conditioned to not react like your average person. So soldiers, police officers, emergency service personnel, they have seen enough so that they're not going to panic at the first sight of blood or the sight of injury, but people are still going to have intense responses. And so we're going to have soldiers and emergency services personnel who are also going to panic and not know what to do. And it's going to take some of those people, you know, a few minutes to take a breath and adapt and you know, get their autonomic responses under control so that they can use their frontal lobe and actually, you know, listen to stratagems and organizational um, possibilities on how people and how groups organize and deal with the situation in their local municipalities, counties and states, and deal with that. And so it, it might take a couple minutes for, and by a couple minutes, I mean a few days for people to get over the shock and start to deal with it. We expect, according to the paperwork, what's on paper, somewhere between 14 and 90 days, depending on the breaks, uh, will depend on when we reach what we consider to be about an 80 or 85% acceptance level. An acceptance level just means that you've got 80 or 85% of the population within 14 to 90 days, again, and that's just going to depend on the breaks, um, who will be like, oh, okay, this is happening. But at first, there's going to be a lot of this isn't happening. This has to be a hoax. This has to be crazy. It has to, it can't be real. There's going to be a lot of people going into denial right away, and that's mm-hmm. to be expected. Um, right. But sometime within that 14 to 90-day period, we will achieve 80% acceptance, and that's when we'll actually be able to start dealing with it, when we get to that you know, 80 to 85% acceptance level. They say 80 to 85 because we anticipate that it's possible that somewhere between 50 and 20% of the population will not achieve acceptance. They will not accept this. They will not accept what's happening. They will not accept the reality of it. They will not accept that it's occurring. They will find some reason to believe any number of things that they think are happening other than what's actually happening. Um, a lot of people will say oh it's a hologram it's project blue beam
4: right. it's like
2: nah, if, if like they're tearing they're over form. if they're turning over yeah if they're turning over cars and biting people's heads off they're not holograms so but people are going to go into their various responses and like i said you would anticipate that about somewhere maybe between 15 and 20% will not reach that acceptance and they will kind of go kicking and screaming as it were through this process. They will not be okay with it in one form or another. Certain percentage of those those people will choose to take their own lives. Certain percentage of those people will choose to take their own lives and the lives of their immediate family members. Um, And a certain number of those people will just, you know, lock themselves into their basements or bunkers and not come out until you know, they starve to death and run out of food, or until they absolutely positively have to come out for supplies. But it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting mix. Now, the, I have to be careful how I use my words here. The good thing about this, about where we're at with this, is that we're already going to be uh, warmed up to emergencies. So we've had to deal with a pandemic, we've had to deal with lockdowns and procedures and protocols for not. Passing contagions to one another, and now we're in a civil disruption phase. So we're dealing with another kind of uh, anxiety slash panic level that's elevating our emergency level, just sort of to a higher, higher level than what it is normal. So when this occurs, we'll already be at this elevated level of emergency. And that will actually help a lot of people deal with this better than they would if it happened cold out of the gate without any of these other things occurring first. That
1: is a fascinating observation. I mean, and it really sounds like you guys in your group and on your team have thought all of this through and statistically and uh, really addressed a lot of the the sociological implications of this.
2: Yeah, because each of these stages were predictable uh, way before they happened. So it, it was easy enough to predict we were approaching, a, you know, either a national epidemic or a global pandemic uh, several years ago. It was, it was a, You were able to look at the numbers, look at the, uh, you know, sort of once-a-century uh, pandemic, uh, which turns out happens. Th- there is one that happens about every 100 years. Uh, and we were going to be coming up on that as we approach 2020. We were going to be in the zone for it to happen. So we, we, that wasn't something that we were able to predict just based on intelligence of what's going around in the world. But basically, this is a thing that recurs. This is a thing that happens. It's likely to occur in this window. So with all of these other things that are also likely to occur in that window, we can predict some form of viral pandemic was on its way. So predicting that was a matter of, you know, looking at historical record. Um, Mm -hmm. The civil disruption part of this, again, something that we've been, you know, tracking behaviors, extremist groups for years. I would say really for the last 20 years, uh, we've been watching these extremist groups get angrier, angrier, more crazy, more emboldened, more violent, more absolutist about, uh, you know, how they feel that they can solve the problems of the world and that, you know, there's a certain number of them that are convinced the only way that they're going to fix corruption in the government is to cause a civil war and bring down the government, which let me just point out, there is nowhere in the world in the last hundred years in which someone solved a corruption problem by bringing the government down. Um, In fact, we can look at... We can look at places, countries uh, around the world who had their civilized uh, societies. When I say civilized societies, I mean these were societies that had paved streets, cars, electricity, running water in some cases. And what most people don't realize is that well before we invaded Iraq, Iraq was a very civilized country. had streets, power lines drop lights, streetlights. It looks very you
1: know, different than it looks
2: today. It does. And, and when we destroyed it and the notion was we're going to destroy it and then fix it, well, you know, over 20 years later, it hasn't been fixed. Um, no. And to go to another country, which we've also been in, which is Afghanistan, you have to go back a little bit farther, uh, I think back to the 60s, uh, to see the pictures of, of Kabul, and there's streets on the road, there's pavement on the road, there's power lines, you know, and phone lines going up and down the road. Kabul was a civilized city in Afghanistan that was, you know, promoting, you know, a center of civilization government from a location that was not perfect, but it was functioning civilization. Well, and then the I'm pretty sure before the Russians ever got to it, it was the, British uh, that messed up Afghanistan. I'd have to double-check on my history before it was even the Russians. I'm pretty sure it was the British. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the British were responsible for so much of everything being messed up in the middle of the 20th century from the first half to the middle of the 20th century. Um, And we're many more years, we're many more decades farther along uh, with Afghanistan than we are Iraq, and Afghanistan is no closer to being a civilized country. They are still uh, you know, goat herders with dirt roads and no running water. So, I, I would make the strong suggestion to anyone who thinks that they're going to accomplish their goal by bringing down functional government and bringing down civilization, that they're somehow going to fix America by doing that, that I would look to the other countries in the world in which that didn't happen, where we destabilized and destroyed a functioning governmental system and nothing other than nepotism or barbarism uh, has taken its place since. So I don't think that the solution is to bring down the federal government as a way of dealing with corruption. I I think that that's tactically a mistake. Let me just state that very clearly. Um, So it's, but we're, we're, we've been tracking those extremists for like 20 years. So being able to look you know, in the current environment in the near future and say, oh, we're looking at, you know, some, uh, you know, domestic terrorism activities. It's not because there have been, it's because there have been a string of domestic terror activities in the last few years. Most of them, when they're uh, publicized, are kept low profile, meaning there's always an underplay of the person's social, political or psychological viewpoints. When you have a number of people who have, uh, gone into churches and shot up churches and killed police officers and shot up malls and schools who yeah, had very, very, yeah, who had very specific reasons for doing that, very specific social, political, psychological attitudes about why they were doing that. And those underlying reasons were downplayed when the story uh, came to the general public and most for the most part, we just said, nah, that was a crazy person. Nah, just a crazy person. When in fact, a lot of these people may be, based on the information that we have, suffering from mental and emotional and psychological deficiencies, but they're not just doing it for crazy reasons. They're doing it for social, political reasons. So that makes them political actors, which makes them terrorists in some cases.
3: Yes, exactly. So
2: again, this is, not, this is not something that hasn't happened. This is something that has been happening at an increasing trickle something that's been happening more and more and more as we've been progressing through this timeline over the, again, over the last 20 years. Um, and so again, it's just a natural state of predicting that this is likely to happen in the near future in this window, because we have been seeing this escalation for decades. So again, predicting that was just a matter of looking at history and current events. And then when we talk about the potential conflict with other global powers like Russia, Iran and China, again, Uh, One just has to be following along uh, in what the media is reporting the conflicts between the U.S. military and Russian military is both in northern Syria and in, uh, again, recently in Alaska as Russian fighters and bombers have sort of pushed, tested our response and our boundaries there. Uh, What we have been seeing in the escalation in the Strait of Hormuz with the Iranians, that's been steadily happening for some time. What we're seeing with the escalation and saber rattling with the Chinese in the South China Sea, that's been happening for some time. And anyone who's paying attention to recent current events, all of those things are escalating. All of those things have escalated uh, within the last 10 days, uh, if, if not multiple times within the last 10 days. So predicting all of that is a matter of just being able to look at patterns, history, and see this is what's happening, and oh, isn't this interesting? that this is all happening in the same window that we're likely to see that we're likely to see the pandemic and we're likely to see the civil disruption and we're likely to see this global conflict all about happening at the same time as we, you know, roll into 2020 and get to 2021, which is exactly where we are. And it's exactly what we're seeing. So when we talk about potential extraterrestrial hostilities, again, this is something that, you know, we've been building a space fleet to protect ourselves from this very thing and to suggest that we have created the ultimate defensive space force fleet to protect ourselves from every possible hostile extraterrestrial entity, well, that would be hubris. That would be thinking that we're untouchable and that we have achieved this completely elevated state where no one can harm us or threaten us, which is not true. It is true that we have elevated ourselves to a above average um, position in the intergalactic community, meaning that more species would look at us and go, Oh, don't mess with those Terrans. They, you know, really, they have buffed up and they're warriors and they're mean and they've got body armor and they're, you know, they're good at building stuff. Eh, you don't want to mess with those guys. So we're, we're already seen as a force to be reckoned with by our peers but that is not to say that there are still not species who have been doing this longer than we have and have been perfecting it yeah. uh, longer than we have.
1: Well, and and not so it still represents a, a
2: tactical military threat.
1: Right. But here's the thing. I mean, we're not talking about the beautiful Pleiadians with the blue eyes and the flowing gowns and the blonde hair. We're talking about eight-foot-tall, six-legged insectoids, possibly yeah. wearing their own Body armor. I mean, that's a whole different vision in terms of what we may encounter, and much more confrontive, much more psychologically terrifying than something that looks like us. These things don't look like us. Bottom line.
2: No, they don't. In fact, they're they're some of the most not like us, um, you know, that there are. So it's it's going to be pretty easy for people to distinguish you know, who the good people are and who the bad people are in the situation. and And we would hope, again, just predicting using models of things that we expect to occur based on looking at years and decades or centuries of trends, that the motivating force from an attacker from outside is that people stop fighting amongst themselves and they start working together. So we have certainly spoken to species who have had this very thing happen. And in almost every case, you have a population that stops fighting amongst itself, stops pointing fingers, stops blaming, stops prioritizing the hate of other subgroups within its own culture and says, oh, look, we have an outside problem that we all have to focus on and we all have to be Terrans, we all have to be Earthlings. We all have to be humans instead of you're left, you're right, you're white, you're black, mm-hmm. you're Chinese, oh, yeah. you're I mean, it
1: goes back, you, you know, communist, whatever. Yeah. About all of yeah. that, you know, he did come to terms with that in his speech, and it made sense then, as it does when you speak about this now. Absolutely, I mean, it would unite everybody to know we've got this common possible enemy, possible something else that we need to come to terms with, one way or another. So it it would create a more unified uh, situation for Earthlings. Uh, but it's just, I'm just imagining what you're describing. <laughs> I'm terrified just thinking so, about it.
2: But, well, so let, me, let me put it this way. So let me put it this way. So looking at all of these trends and predicting these events as we see them approaching is a little bit like knowing that you're in a, you're in a car and you're approaching a stretch of road that's going to be very slippery, and unfortunately, you've already got two tires that are out. And it's likely that as you hit this slippery and possibly uh, surface that also has pointy objects on it, that you might lose your other two tires. And so we can see what's going to happen, which is that the car is going to slide, it's going to skid, it may lose other tires, and it may start to spin out of control. What we're hoping by being able to look at these trends and predict is not stop that from happening because there's no way that we have been able to look at this and go, here's how we stop this, you know, car from sliding out of control. All we really can do is say, how do we control the slide to minimize the impact to Mm -hmm. to minimize the worst case scenario? So hopefully we've done our homework and we have looked at all of these variables and so like you say, we have spent quite a bit of time looking at psychological profiling and social, social psychological demographics and history and all of these various social psychological trends, viral trends, um, social political stress factor trends, and being able to anticipate certain things as they're likely to occur. And we're seeing that, we're, that that's happening as we sort of watch things unfold, that as we get through this process, all of that planning will pay off, and the car sliding down the street will hit the least number of people, uh, and will crash into the least number of cars, and will end up in a, a a predictably safe spot, you know, in a bush instead of in the lake down at the end of the road. Right. So wow. it's it's not going to be pretty, and it's not going to be perfect, but if we've done our homework, it will be a controlled slide that will end up in. Victory of some kind or another Instead of our demise and our destruction
1: Well that's good news And the human spirit really cannot be Dominated for very long It's uh, This is good news in, in hearing the end result of this controlled Slide but oh my goodness What a fascinating discussion we're having Tonight Captain and uh, we're going to be talking now. I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to come back talk about the missing oh, people.
2: One, sorry, my, my my headset popped out of my it, ear there, it just and popped I right completely. Up. We're, we're
1: going to take a short commercial break, and come back. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about what you know about these disappeared people. They have gone missing from our national parks,
4: oh, from yeah, our college hearts.
1: campuses, and you are in the know. So stay tuned, everybody. It is even going to get more exciting here, if that's possible on Supernatural Girls Radio. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we will be right back.
0: Pure essential oil, specialized minerals, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridium combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian,
4: beyond your expectations. There are a lot of psychics out there. How do you decide which one is right for you? you look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleid, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, together we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at corbymitlide.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitleid. The practical psychic for catching your tomorrows today. Find me at CorbyMitline.com. That's CorbyMitline.com.
3: Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it? Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Available on Amazon.com.
5: Are you frustrated with endless mantras, affirmations, and processes that promise to align your life with your dreams only to find yourself years later in the same space where you began? Do you feel like you must be doing something wrong because nothing seems to be working? Don't you just wish that someone could shift your consciousness for you and your life could align with your desires without all the effort? Well, your wish is about to come true. Hi, I'm Carrie Cannon, and I have a gift that allows me to align the consciousness of others to be in harmony with their dreams. The best part is, it requires no particular effort on your part. Upon listening to a consciousness alignment, people have reported instant energy shifts, financial windfalls, Soulmate connections, healed relationships, physical healings, and more. To gain access to a free trial offer for my entire Manifesting Miracles Library of Consciousness Alignments, go to commandmiracles.com now for details. Again, that's commandmiracles.com for information about our free trial offer. That's commandmiracles.com.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, having an incredible conversation with our guest tonight, our most popular guest, Captain Randy Kramer. We've been talking about the virus. We've been talking about the different stages that we are going through as a culture in the world. And now, what we're going to be talking about, one of my favorite topics, which is the Missing 411 Information. Now, David Pilates gets all the credit in the world for what he's done. He has put together a tremendous amount of great investigative work. He has done this over a period of years, published numerous books. I've read them all. They're great, as well as produced two movies about these people who disappear without a trace. So we're going to talk now with our guest, Captain Kramer, because... I know, Randy, you've got some, some really good info, inside info, on what's going on in these national parks, what's happening to these people. And I know there's different situations, different uh, groups, but there are a lot of commonalities. So please, tell us what you know about this stuff.
2: Um, you have the conflicts of sort of two symptomologies happening at the same time. So the result is people disappearing, but the reason that they're disappearing isn't, excuse me, isn't necessarily the same. It may be the likelihood of one or two most likely possibilities, which again does not exclude all other possibilities. It just means that there are two major statistically likely possibilities for that to happen. Uh, One is that a few years back, uh, some of the people who have been living inside some of the, well, a lot of them are, live inside these uh, cities that have been built inside the cinder cones, um, mostly inside of dormant volcanoes up and down the cascade and uh, Rocky mountain ranges. And um, most of them are, People who settled there, moved there after the fall of Atlantis. Some of them, maybe after that, some of them before that, but most of them probably established those places as dwellings, cities, and in some cases, uh, intergalactic functioning, still functioning intergalactic spaceports like here in Sedona. Um, and what has occurred is, like I said, a few years back, they decided that there were too many people wandering too closely uh, to their homes and too many hikers, and they decided that they would put up some shielding. Now, the way the shielding works is it you, if you were heading uh, on a hike in a westerly direction and you mm-hmm. came upon one of these shields, you would find yourself turned around heading east again and not realize it. Your compass might not even show that you've turned around and that you're heading east. It might still show that you're going west, but then you might realize, oh, I, how did I end up here? I ended up on a different trail and I'm I'm back where the way I came from. I I ended up going the other direction. Um, So it, it basically just turns around and or slightly confuses the subject and the Uh, geomagnetics of what's happening so that people will lose compass orientation and will, again, unknowingly turn themselves around and be heading in a different direction and not realize that they're heading in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Now, because this is not one giant shield generator, it is a series of shield generators that connect a larger network of shielding, there are some holes where they connect. There are some little teeny pockets where someone could wander through and get on the other side of this barrier. Now, if you end up on the other side of the barrier, you might never get back unless you can find the hole again. And most people will never find the hole again because this shield turns people around and disorientates them. So if you sort of roll the dice of percentiles and hit that 1% and go through a pocket, you might never find your way back out. So in some cases where they're finding people, dead and, you know, having starved to death or dehydrated after what appears to have been, you know, some length of time. The time doesn't necessarily move the same inside this field. Um, you know, they write it off as, well, you know, hiker got lost, starved to death, you know, dehydrated themselves or whatever when they, get, when they finally find their body. Or in some cases, they disappear altogether. And they're never found again because they're on the other side of this barrier. So that's one possibility, and I would say that most of the time that's probably what we're talking about is happening. There are continuing to be kidnappings by covert military personnel to fill jobs, and because we don't have open recruitment right now, and we don't have disclosure, and we don't have this thing where we can, someone can just Put out a posting and say, hey, we need engineers, we need biologists, we need botanists. Um, If there isn't a secretive way to recruit those people, some departments, some agencies, based on their complete lack of oversight and their ability to get away with high crimes and misdemeanors, uh, just decide, well, why don't we just kidnap some people and have them? Why don't we just kidnap some engineers? Why don't we just kidnap some biologists why don't we just kidnap some microbiologists so in some cases you have disappearances of people and this can happen all over this doesn't just happen in the parks it just may be convenient that that person is going into a remote area that mm-hmm. people get lost in all the time and therefore it's easier to say oh that person got lost or disappeared in an environment that it's more statistically likely that that could happen instead of them just disappearing out of their living rooms. Um, Right. It would be like plucking people out of the ocean. If, if more people got in little boats and just wandered out into the sea and disappeared, it would be very easy to just pluck people out of their boats and be like, Oh, you know, they sank the boat sank because that would be a thing. Whereas it's less likely for people to just disappear or banished without a trace out of their living rooms. So mm-hmm. it creates a uh, plausible deniability and a, uh, a scapegoating backdrop for people to explain it a different way instead of that the person, you know, banished or kidnapped or was um, yeah, somehow abducted.
1: Yeah. And you, you but I have, I have keeping... talked to
2: people who, who have been with another party uh, on a walk on a trail And this other person was, you know, less than 20 feet from them, and they turned around and, you know, like turned a circle, and when they turned back around, they were gone. So in some cases, it does happen so quickly that even people who are literally standing right there don't see it happen.
1: Yeah, that's just incredible. And I know that David Pallides has also identified a trend with Germans going missing or people of German heritage. At one point, he identified Hmm. five German physicists that went missing. So what's up with that? Why Germans?
2: Um, I'd probably blame the genetic racial purists of the Schwabenlanders, who, if they have a choice to kidnap engineers, they'd probably rather it with German engineers than somebody else for their Mm -hmm. uh, ridiculous notions about racial purity. And I just yeah, say ridiculous because, because we know that, 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 that any time you have a, uh, a genetic group that is kept too pure, as it were, uh, you end up with way more mutations, way more retardation, uh, way more uh, brain misdevelopment. Uh, you actually get the strongest genotypes when you mix it up uh, and everyone a mutt, when people have got, you know, 15 different you know, racial genetic heritages in their bloodstream. They're actually genetically stronger and genetically superior to someone who's a racial purebred, as it were.
1: Mm-hmm. And some of the the common features around a lot of these disappearances is when these people go missing and these search teams are organized to find them, they bring out the dogs, they uh, and they can't find them. There's also bad weather that happens, whether it's or sure. Like the rain or snow. Now, why that? Is it because they're opening up portals and these portals are creating weather events or why the why the weather
2: um, No, again, I would say uh, that's the convenience of covering your tracks and either mm-hmm. pre- being able to use predictable weather events to cover your tracks and or weather modification to create a weather event to cover your tracks.
1: Mhm. Yeah, cuz it's a it difficult tough for to people go to do yeah, five feet of snow falling around you. So, yeah, right. that does prevent that from happening. Now, there's also been a lot of talk about the boulders. And Yosemite's one of the, the places where a lot of people go missing, and they have these these boulder fields. One of the people that went missing, I think it was about 30 years ago, was Stacy Ann Aris. She was with her dad and other horseback riders on a trip. She... Uh, Went back to the cabins with everybody. Got washed up. Walked down to the lake with an older gentleman, and he watched her uh, walk down with her camera to take pictures, and she was never seen again. And there has been a lot said about people, uh, people um, beings who inhabit these boulders and can actually put you under a spell and and take you. Have you heard anything about the boulders or the or why people go missing around those things?
2: Well, when you're talking about the use of advanced technology, you're talking about a couple of possibilities. It's possible to uh, be out of phase. so if if I had a belt that you know changed my whole physiological frequency to go out of phase with the matter that was around me. Um, I would essentially be able to pass through solid matter, walk through walls, walk through doors, walk into a solid rock and be standing inside a solid rock where I would not be physically touching the rock, but occupying the same physical space because I'd be out of phase. Mm -hmm. Or in some cases, uh, the ability to create hard light holograms, which are as real as the chair that is sitting in front of me right now that I'm banging my knuckle on uh, Mm -hmm. a hard light hologram could be created to replicate that chair. And I could sit in it. Um, You could have a large, I mean, we certainly have them around here again in Stona where you have rock formations and places in which we know there are things inside or underneath those rocks. We don't necessarily know, how people are getting in and out because you don't find cave entrances or tunnels, you know, like, Oh, there's, there's that cave entrance. That's where they get in. So most of the time, what they're using are entrances that are covered with a hard light hologram. So you could walk up to it, lean up against it, you know, lean your back up against it to take a break on a hike and drink your water and not realize that you are literally standing or leaning against a doorway because it is simply going to appear as the same hard rock as the surface of the other rock around it. So, two possibilities there technologically are someone could be hiding out of phase in that rock or someone Mm -hmm. could be using that rock as a empty space that has literally been hollowed out that may even have access to other underground tunnels or, or, networks that go underneath that boulder that have a holographic doorway so that if you were, if someone were to walk by you could step out, grab them, pull them in. The holographic door could go back up into place. And, again, someone could literally vanish into thin air in a matter of seconds. And someone who was very nearby could miss it entirely if they turned around, uh, you know, did a slow 360 or even a quick 360 and miss the entire thing. And, you know, when they look at what they're looking at, again, see solid rock, not, nobody standing there and have no idea what happened. But those are two technological explanations for that sort of thing that I can think of right off the the top of my head. There might be more.
1: Yeah, because, again, a lot of people have been talking about these children that have gone missing. And when they were either playing hide-and-seek with each other or they were uh, hunting, you know, but not hunting, they were picking berries, especially huckleberries, that these kids have gone missing, around uh, picking huckleberries. And so, of course, Bigfoot comes up as a possibility.
2: Well, uh, Sasquatches or Enkidoos, whichever you want to call them, we refer to them uh, as, the, as a species as the um, <laughs> there which is E-N-K-I-D-U, uh, which was the name of a companion of Gilgamesh, uh, who was the first king of Sumeria? Who was a big, hairy, smelly dude uh, named Inkydo? Who was a one of the species of the Inkydo or Sasquatch? Oh, okay. If you prefer that name, if mm-hmm. you per, if you want to say Bigfoot, like a layperson who doesn't know what they're talking about, you can certainly say that as well. It's really neither here nor there because we're all talking about the same thing. But we list them as the Inkydo because that's the first recorded event where one of them. Interacted with humans, which is, mm-hmm. uh, which is, again, not the first time that it happened, but it's the first time that we have in recorded, recorded history, so that's why yeah. we use that name. That's why we use the name Inky um, I like that name. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's some interesting, if, if you are, and anyone who's interested in Sumerian history and folklore, which is very interesting in and of itself. Yeah, the, uh, Gilgamesh and Enkidu had some adventures. They really had some interesting adventures together and roamed the countryside and there's a, um, a story where they were trying to go to a sacred space, which we think was a, a spaceport that wasn't necessarily allowed to go and that there was this uh, giant bowl, which we think was probably automated or maybe even robotic not necessarily an actual biological thing and uh, it was you know this guard dog for this uh, spaceport and apparently the thing chased them like miles and miles and miles and miles and oh miles, and miles before, before they turned around and fought it and I remember the story correctly Inky-Doo you know jumped on top and you know grabbed it by the horns and tore its horns out or something or ripped its head off or something like that but yeah, the two of them had some really interesting adventures yeah, together. Um, if anyone is interested in, in so why you know, kids? wanting I mean, to why, look at I mean, there's a, there's a lot of
1: questions well, so around that's, the, So that's
2: the thing. Some, yeah, so that's the thing I would say, first of all, is that the, the Inky Doo are not child snatchers. So okay, any so notion not that. that the children disappearing are from Inky Doo or Sasquatch, no, not a thing. They're not child snatchers. That wouldn't be the case. Um, again, when you're talking about covert programs that just, steel personnel, especially when you're talking about training soldiers and psionic specialists, you can't kidnap them when they're 18. you got to get them when they're, you know, five or seven or three or four. You know, you really want them young uh, because that's when the key development stages that you can interrupt and enhance are going to be occurring when they're young. So that tends to lean towards, uh you know, more of these rogue actors who are kidnapping personnel rather than going through any of the approved procedures for acquiring personnel.
1: So some of these children may be alive today as as adults?
2: Absolutely. I I, I would say that it's more likely than not. I mean, if they're going into military training programs, there's always a chance that a certain percentage of them will have achieved fatality, uh, in that process, but yeah, they're, if they're soldiers or psionic specialists, there's a very good chance that most of them are still alive.
1: Amazing. Now, the the other one that I find so troubling is where the college kids have gone missing. And these are always, for the most well, for the most part, they are young, fit, very intelligent young men. That are that disappear, and then they are their bodies are found in water, and of course, the coroner says that they drowned, but really they didn't drown. they just found the body right. in water, and then they maybe were gone for I know one of them was gone for seventy two days, but his body was not in the water for anywhere near that. Where was right. he the rest of that time? And they're also finding that there is a date-rate drug in huge quantities in their system, if they even test for that. As you know, most most coroners aren't going to test for that. But
2: right, they're not going to test for rufinol.
1: No, they're not. And so, But I also know that that is a drug that we also make in our own bodies. And it seems like, to me, that when we encounter supernatural experiences sometimes, that we met, we make that drug, and it does incapacitate us to some degree, and in this case, a total degree, so that they die. But why is this happening, and where are they taking these young men for a period of time, and then what are they doing with them, and then dumping them back into the water?
2: If um, if the if the victims had a wider range of classification, meaning there were more males and females. You had more males of different ages um, or different, uh, you know, social classes. Then I would say that you're talking about something that could be more random uh, or that something, some event could be occurring that, that is again causing that sort of natural brain chemical response, something that could have again to do with maybe these, you know, confusion fields. But because you're talking about a specific group of young males educated, um, that's a, you know, that's a, um, that's a type, you know, like if, Right. If, if you were finding those if you were finding those bodies turning up, you know, in random places, you know, dead in a city. And if I was an investigating detective, I would start asking serial killer questions like, wait, I got way too many young guys between, you know, 20 and 22 college educated uh, turning up dead here. I'm, I'm going to start looking for, you know, a serial killer. If it, if it was really in enough numbers, so at that point I'm saying that looks like targeting. And if it's targeting, and again, if you're if you're taking soldiers, you're taking psionic specialists. You want them when they're very young. If you were taking scientists or engineers, well, you'd want them at their Education age, you'd want them when they were in their early 20s or late teens when they were, their brains were formulating and learning information and they were totally ready and ripe to start absorbing whatever textbooks and science and technology that you would want them to absorb. So at that point, we start looking at the possibility of, again, abductions for personnel reasons. If that's the case, then I would suggest that they're not finding the bodies of the individuals who are taking what they probably are finding is a clone that was replicated.
1: Oh, that's uh, interesting. And,
2: mm-hmm, and for any number of reasons, because of whatever drugs they may have given the clone to sedate the clone so that it's not squirrely and jumping around and, you know, being a problem, like the same way that you tranquilize a wild animal, you know, transporting it Uh, that that could be a reason for what's happening with the biochemistry the brain chemistry. And again, leaving them in water, that's covering your tracks. You know, you drop something in the stream and then, you know, if if you were standing in the water and not on the land, you're not going to leave footprints. You're not going to leave a scent uh, for a dog to smell or for a bloodhound or for anybody to be able to track because you're going to be, standing in water. Anyone who's ever watched old movies, and I've watched a lot of old westerns, knows that if you're trying to lose bloodhounds, you get into a creek and you run up the stream in the water. You don't, you know, get on the land. You run up through the water because they can't smell uh, something that ran through a creek bed
1: or a stream. Yeah, and these bodies are often found in in areas where they have searched before, and that's also true sometimes in the national park. There's there's so much to this, and it, it. when we looked into this, several mediums and myself, and one of the things that we saw that was very strange, maybe you know about this technology, was that they were doing experiments with removing souls from the body. Now, I can imagine that that technology, if it even exists, is extremely advanced, but what we looked at was that happening, not, but not with just humans. It was a human-extraterrestrial combination of Mm -hmm. who is taking these young men. And I don't know, is it possible that there is that type of technology that is being experimented uh, with these young men?
2: Oh, yeah, that technology exists. I've been moved from one body to another using that technology, uh, extracts the entire soul, spirit, consciousness of the individual, which is a quantum fluid dynamic. And can transfer it from one container to the other. And a, a body is a container. Uh, and there's also neutral objects that are not bodies that could be containers. So you could remove someone's conscious soul, spirit, put it in effectively in a jar, uh, and then put it into some other vessel, into another body, either a human body, a clone body, or an extraterrestrial body at another point. So that that's absolutely a thing. Um, curious um why they would be doing that and the maybe for some purpose of well maybe the bodies that they're finding do belong to the person maybe they're extracting the part that they need which is their conscious self their conscious energy allowing the original physical body to perish to be found later possibly drugged um and then put them into another body, put them into another clone version of the yeah, Or like and have you said, fresh even start. a
1: container. Because what we saw yeah, when or, we looked into yeah. this was that, was containers all connected to each other like a grid. And so yeah. again, this is stuff that is 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 so far beyond uh what I can even wrap my mind around, but it's what we saw very clearly. And again, when uh the detectives in New York also started investigating this kind of thing and and they said there were some botched kidnappings, one in particular. And the friends of this young man witnessed it and saved him. They said that the the people that were trying to kidnap their friend had military training. They were military trained. Right. Uh, I don't mean that they were a part of the military like you are, but they, right. they had right. that kind of training.
2: Yeah, that that would again. That's a uh, that would be evidence of a rogue program and personnel from a rogue program.
1: Mhm, mhm. Wow, there is just so much going on <laughs> underneath the surface. But you know, I I just feel so badly, Randy, for the family. It's the families of these young men. I mean, that had such high hopes for their sons to to go on in, in their lives and be successful, get married, have children, whatever. That they're just taken and they're gone forever it's it's a very sad situation that leaves the families with really not a lot of explanation and certainly the things we're talking about tonight are advanced technologies that many people would think are we're crazy talking about this but it's it's entirely possible because they are returning these empty shelves to water
2: yeah i mean that doesn't leave much closure um, mm-hmm. and, and certainly just finding the body of a loved one doesn't necessarily bring closure either. At least you know where they are, you know, asking questions about where they are, what they're doing, what could be happening to them. You know, you sort of feel like you have at least that kind of closure that, you know, they've been found dead. But, de- but if you don't know what happened, uh, you don't know what occurred. Um, you know, it can be terrible. Um, when I was a kid. Uh, my parents were friends with, uh, another couple that had a, uh, their son and their son's girlfriend who were at a campground, uh, picnic site that's really not that far out of town where, uh, Eugene, Oregon, where I grew up in, um, a little place called Shotgun Creek, which is again, not far, uh, from town. And they were um, found dead uh, by another hiker and for decades didn't know what happened, didn't, didn't have a clue, didn't know how, who did it, how it happened. Yeah. I mean, there was just no answers and it did it. Well, what it took, what it took was several decades to go by and DNA evidence to uh, advance itself enough that they could, they still had evidence from the site, from, you know, skin samples, hair samples. You know, mm-hmm. I still had a bunch of stuff that they, they didn't couldn't do much with If they didn't have someone to match it with. But with, uh, you know, sort of modern DNA technology, they were able to get a DNA print off of one of these and find out that it was a suspect who had a criminal background. So it was someone mm-hmm. who, you know, they were able to... Right. Um, find their genotype, and it turned out uh, that this was someone who was currently in prison for another crime that occurred many years later so um, you know this is a career criminal who got away with you know murder and sexual assault uh, and probably continued to do the same thing until they got caught or arrested and thrown in prison so right. I'm, i i can 't remember I believe that they because this person was in prison for a very long time and they didn't know whether they were really going to be able to bring up charges. I don't know that uh, they were able to bring up further charges, but it did bring them some sense of closure at that point. Oh, well, sure. That yeah. they pretty sure they knew who did it and pretty sure that the guy was behind bars for other crimes. And so they could at least go, well, we've got that. But for decades, oh my goodness. I mean, they just didn't know. And had to live in, you know, just fear and terror uh, that, you know, it, it, it could come back to affect them somehow, or that it could have been something yeah. that was targeting their family or them personally in, in a way. You can't and, imagine it. And, it's yeah. a living and, nightmare. And then they were young too. I mean, it was like it was like, uh, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. I mean, they were right. young kids when it happened. I mean, they were just fresh out of high school.
1: Well, I think it's hard enough. To- for parents losing children when it is something where there is a criminal element like that that is almost to be expected, but when you add the paranormal in and there are so many unexpected twists and turns, it, it makes it more difficult in so many ways. But it uh, it is something I think we all need to start looking at as to why these things are happening. I think it's one of our biggest downfalls in our society and culture that we don't take these paranormal things seriously and really begin to work with them. Now, I know your group is working with all of this, but there are so many people who go into denial They think it's not real. It is real, and these things have power over us because we're in denial about it, and we need to really sober up and understand that there are things going on with advanced technology and rogue groups, as you mentioned, And they are taking people, and whether they're returning them empty or whether they're taking them for their own projects, I guess uh, we just don't know right now. We are definitely working at a huge deficit with these cases.
2: Um, And I can tell you from my personal experience, truth is stranger than fiction. Um, Mm -hmm. I have experienced things personally that go way beyond, you know, weirdness factor levels of things that I've seen in movies, you know, so that because to be honest, sometimes what's real is way weirder. Sometimes I, I can see where even for fictionalized science fiction horror movies, they tone some stuff down, you know, to what could be really happening because no one would believe it if it was what was really occurring or something that was, you know, completely realistic as far as replicating that thing or that event or that technology. Yeah. So I think that right. you know, there, truth is stranger than fiction, and and at some point people need to get over that whatever reality they think is the only reality exists, they're wrong. They're very mm-hmm. wrong. Well, let me put it this way: I don't care who you are, I don't care what you believe in, I don't care how open-minded you think you are, and how many things you think that you accept are happening. You believe in there are still things that you don't know and still things that you wouldn't believe if you knew them. And if you saw them in front of your face, you would still be like, I don't know that I want to believe that. So no matter where your level of acceptance or denial is, there are still things that are out there that are weirder and stranger than you could ever imagine.
1: That is so true, Randy. It really is. It really is. And as Bob Monroe used to say from the Monroe Institute, you know, all we can do is measure the exhaust from the car. It doesn't really tell us much, you know. When it comes to the paranormal, right. we have to really get caught right. up. So there's just there's too many things going on, and these missing people, families left behind. I mean, the latest that uh, Pallides uh, was working on was a was a hunter sickle missing. Now these are experienced woodsmen, and they, right. they who shouldn't
2: yeah who who know how to get lost and find their way, and know how to find water, and know how to you know bring jerky and Know how to bring, you know, sat phones and I mean, I mean, yeah, there there are people who know their territories and know the outdoors. That it, it's a shock and a surprise when something happens to someone who has otherwise spent years or decades of their life, you know, surviving out in the wilderness where mm-hmm. it, it's second nature to them. Yeah, it is. My
1: dad
2: is fun. my dad's one of those people. He was a, a hunter, fisher, outdoorsman his entire life, and oh, no I. Kidding. He, he, he's older now. I would be concerned if he got lost in the woods now. He doesn't walk so good. But, you know, 20 years ago, if, if my dad was out somewhere and people couldn't find him, I'd be like, eh, you no, know, he'll, he'll be fine. He'll, <laughs> he'll find him. He'll find his way back in. He, wa- right. he, he, knows how to, he knows how to dig in and cover himself with mud and stay warm. He knows how to build a shelter. He knows how to stay out of the wind. He knows how to make fire. He knows how to find water. He knows how to find food. Ah, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be all right. Um, because yeah, he has that group, grew, grew up, uh, with a dad and a, and a brother in a place, uh, back East where they spent all their time as kids out hunting and fishing. So he was, he was way more familiar with, uh, the woods by 18, you know, than I was, but yeah, he, he, God, he it definitely is, knew it's his way around. So, so someone like that, Yeah, you know, I yeah. Yeah, so someone like that gets lost and disappears. There's always weird questions because it's like, wait a minute, that's like someone who, you know, knows how to survive outdoors in their sleep.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a non sequitur when you put those things together. But, again, Captain, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time. It's always too short when you're on our show. So thank you so much. I hope you come back and spend more time with us because it's always, always thrilling and we learn so much. When you are with us So thank you, thank you again For joining us tonight It's been a very exciting conversation So, My anyways. pleasure
2: Thank you so much for having me And I'd be happy to come back anytime Thank
1: you Oh, Terrific Well definitely we're going to plan on that And next week everybody We'll be back with another exciting show Until then We will see you on the Blue Highway Good night everyone
0: Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with
1: Supernatural.